and wait. And baby, I'm TFC till I die. Happy Monday and welcome back uh, to another episode of the Toronto Till I Die podcast. The Toronto FC fan podcast that is still in World Cup mode, but we're starting to get back into regular TFC land. I'm your co-host, Mike Newell. And in this week's show, we talk TFC corner Oso back, Matt Hedges, Victor Vasquez. The pieces are starting to fall in the TFC offseason, so we'll talk a bit about that. We'll also talk about uh, this thing called the World Cup. I think there's some semifinals coming up this week, and we'll talk about that. And we'll also have a, a quick chat about Project 8, Diana Matheson's uh, new company, and the new Women's Pro League coming to Canada in 2025. Uh, we got a lot to talk about. Um, some news just dropped uh, your, your boy here, Michael Singh just dropped it. So let's get right into it. Um, as always, Mike Singh on the podcast, uh, Jeffrey P. Nesker on the shelf this week, hope to have him back next week, but, uh, Mike, uh, how's your day going, um, as you're dropping some news here? Yeah, it's, it's good, man. I'm still <laughs> trying to catch up with everything, um, and seeing what exactly is going down here. Cause Hearing a lot of a lot of different things. Um, obviously, first off, Jonathan Osorio has signed a new contract with Toronto FC. Um, I believe it's a three-year or four-year deal for Osorio. Um, and at age thirty, it is uh, it's great to bring him in at that term, uh, which is fantastic news. I think um, now. I believe the deal was just actually officially announced. So let me just pull up the details quickly. Oh, okay. Club just dropped it. Okay. okay. Yeah. So it's a three-year deal and it is using targeted allocation money. So Tam, so hopefully, hopefully I was wrong about the it being a potentially a DP deal. Like I said, I wasn't able to fully confirm that. Um, well, I guess let me clarify. When I say deep, considered a DP, and maybe this might still even be the case, um, it doesn't necessarily mean the contract has to be above $1.6215 million. Right. right? It could be uh, a mechanism that I know Toronto FC was looking at, which is signing a player below that threshold, but still considering them a DP. Uh, so that... I'm not sure if we can confirm whether or not that is going to be the case. I guess we'll see how this uh, plays out. But assuming that it's not, you're getting Ozo at three years at TAM money. That's uh, that's such steal. a win. That's a that's not, such I don't a know if win. This, is it is it a, would, like steal the right word here, or is it more just you you just get a essentially a guy who you've wrapped up assuming you know he gets to 34 that'll take him to the next world cup uh the home world cup in in 2026 you know is that sort of the okay thank you for the service we want to make you a lifetime tfc player contract yeah um yeah i think that i think it's a fair value deal uh for rosario i think something we've talked about so many times uh throughout this show how much you know could they 
could they get away with spending on a guy like Osorio based on what he means to the club and based on the fact that he still is a very, very good player who's contributing and producing. Um, so I think from value perspective, it's a fair deal. Uh, David just saying in the chat that there is a fourth year option for Osorio, which again was in line with sort of what I was hearing there. So that's, that's great news uh, for Again, the club and Azorio, especially if that's a team option, that takes him through 2026, through the World Cup, uh, which is uh, great to think about the fact that you'll have in Toronto a guy in Jonathan Azorio representing uh, Toronto FC. That's that's unbelievable news. So um, I guess my question to you, Mike, is obviously he was looking at different options. Yeah right heading into this world cup and the world cup was going to be this platform for him to showcase his talents and make a case to bigger clubs overseas specifically teams i think what he was aspiring was champions league football teams yeah to perhaps take a stab on him do you think do you think he did enough to garner attention of some of those teams overseas or do you think perhaps his world cup is underwhelming like how would you rate his world cup performance yeah that's a really great question um i thought his world cup performance was decent but i don't think it was i think enough to really get a european team to especially one either in champions league or europa league to really sort of take that jump and say, okay, we'll take a flyer on you as a 30 year old player coming in, who's played his entire career at MLS. Um, you know, I really think you'd have to have like a Tejon Buchanan type of world cup for that to really happen. And I know there had been some reports that maybe there were clubs in the championship uh, in England. I know he signed with a new agent, that agent um, or that agency, I should say has, you know, when looking at their roster of players has a speciality in La Liga and um, in the second division in Spain as well. But if you think about it from for Jonathan Osorio's perspective, this is kind of the last chance to either go to Europe or cash in, right? Like this is sort of the, the, the contract that you get to, you know, sort of make that bank um, at the end. And I wonder if it comes down to, you know, one, TFC willing to give him the money you know, that he's looking for, because he has all right to ask for that kind of money. Mm -hmm. And two, if maybe even not so much to say Europe didn't quite materialize for him, but I think there is an allure for him to play in Toronto, to be a one club man, potentially to become captain of this club. If you consider maybe Michael Bradley has a year, maybe two left you know, at the end of the contract or going into the World Cup, maybe he's captain of Toronto FC going into a home World Cup like you mentioned previously, right? So I think there were a lot of factors. You know, it, to me, it was almost like 50-50 that he stayed or he went or, or he stayed or did he, like, took off for Europe, right? Like if he gets the right offer and the right club comes along, then he goes and who as a Toronto FC fan can really begrudge him the opportunity to go play in Europe after a world cup. But uh, to me, and I think to you as well, and to a lot of Toronto FC fans, Jonathan Osorio in many ways is Toronto FC in both 
mentality of what we want this club to aspire to try to be, but also in the fact that, you know, this is a hometown guy who has literally started from the bottom. Now he's here, right? Like in that sense. So I think, you know, I, I think that in the end, I think he's come to the right decision for him, for his family. I'm happy for him. You know, I, you know, I'm happy that he's going to get paid um, and, and that he's going to be spending, you know, the next three to four seasons here in Toronto. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I, I love that you pointed out the captain, um, the next captain of Toronto FC, because I, I, it's hard to imagine that in the negotiations that wasn't a selling point for Toronto FC. Be like, hey, you know what? If you do agree to sign here long term, Michael Bradley, we know, is getting towards the end of this career. You're going to be the next captain of TFC. And that's something that is going to overall just enhance your value um, to the city of Toronto, the city you grew up in. And if you look at the direction the club is heading in terms of bringing names like Lorenzo Insigne and Bernadeschi, you know, not those guys. You're going to be the guy that's wearing the armband. I think that is a, that's absolutely um, um, huge. So, yeah, I echo your thoughts a lot in terms of what he means to the club and, and the decision that he made. I've I've said it on this show. I've said it on other shows that I believe the best decision for Jonathan Osorio, uh, objectively speaking, would have been to resign here with Toronto FC uh, just because, like, Ozo's a really talented player, but it's really rare that you see a guy go overseas and have a breakthrough campaign at 30 31 years old right he would have been fighting a serious serious uphill battle whereas it's made for him here as you mentioned the world cup coming in 2026 you're going to be the captain for toronto fc and man as vincent saying here in the chat maybe even the captain of canada right at at that point um there's a there's a lot a lot of positives i think to take away from this signing and yeah, it's one that I think we should we should definitely celebrate. And now that you look at where the club is, um, they bring back their th- three most important midfielders, right? Yeah. They bring back Michael Bradley. They bring back Mark Anthony Kay, of course. And now they bring back Jonathan Osorio. We didn't really get to see t- too many minutes of that, but you have your starting midfield down. Yeah. I think that's not that's pretty no it's not so i guess my i guess my question for you then now would be okay we've been saying for months that coming into this offseason the biggest domino that needed to be solved one way or the other was jonathan osorio that domino is now fallen we now know where it lands and it lands with him staying in toronto what do you envision sort of as the next sort of phase of this off-season rebuilding plan? Because I think a lot of fans, and we've been talking about it in the last couple of podcasts, I think, is this sort of unease of not hearing about what the plan is or not hearing about Toronto FC in the rumor mill. What is happening? Who are we signing? We have a lot of holes to fill. Where do you think this leaves Toronto FC, both from a cap perspective, but also from a where's the next step in, in the rebuilding process? Or the uh, is it rebuild? Yeah, I guess maybe a little bit. Yeah, I think he can still uh, consider it that. Well, 
again, if they decide not to use the DP mechanism on Jonathan Osorio, then they've utilized a lot of their salary cap on Ozo and, and Michael Bradley and Mark Anthony K would fall under that mix. Uh, perhaps Jesus Jimenez would fall under that mix if he's still around. So I think they still have a lot of room to play with considering how many contracts have come off the books. But in terms of allocation money, again, I, I still think they have a lot to spend uh, just doing mm-hmm. running through some of the the prospects in my head. Um, I think they're, regardless of what happened here, um, I'm not sure if that changes necessarily what uh, was going to be forthcoming um, in these next couple of weeks. And honestly, next couple of days, I think you're going to hear about a couple of more moves. So I think what they need to add in their midfield, importantly, is going to be now depth options, right? We already know that one more is going to be joining the midfield trio there as sort of a depth option. But you probably need one or two more bodies in that midfield. It's like I keep I keep thinking about this logically, but the reality is they need so many more positions to fill. Yeah. Right? Yeah. They need a starting fullback. They need two starting center backs. They need a starting goalkeeper. Maybe a backup goalkeeper. You might need to replace a couple of your strikers. You need to add winger depth. Like there is a lot of work that needs to to still be done with this TFC roster. So of course they're going to have salary cap space. And you can't really unless we openly see the books, you can't really pinpoint how exactly um, this affects something else. But I think they're, they're still going to be able to accomplish everything that, uh, that they need to do. Okay. So you talked a little bit about midfield depth. So let's maybe talk about one of the potential solutions that has come in the door via the re-entry draft. And that's Victor Vasquez. Obviously, you know, the, part of the process of the re-entry draft in the second stage is that you have to send a bona fide offer to the player within seven days. Clearly TFC has done that. So clearly there is negotiations going on there. It sounds like from what the sort of word on the wind out there is, is that he comes in for a physical. If he passes the physical, he's signing a deal. Um, you know, in terms of his role, we talked about a bit about it on, on previous pods, but, you know, if this does come to pass, you know, what, what do you see as his value and, and benefit to this midfield, given his age? I think he's a fantastic depth piece to come into the squad. Um for a couple of different reasons. A, I, I believe he can still play and he's still a baller. Yeah. B, he has that little bit of savviness and intelligence and quality, to be honest, on the ball. Uh, that will bring the best out of a guys like Lorenzo Insigne and Federico Bernadeschi. Like when you put him on the pitch with those guys, those guys won't hesitate to pass to Victor Vasquez. I think we saw last year there were times where maybe Insigne looked off a guy like... I don't know, like like Jaden Nelson, for example, more times than than 
you know, some of the other guys that he was playing with. I think that'll be less of the case with Victor Vasquez because he has the quality there to, to hang with those guys. And as we just talked about with the midfield trio already being set, Victor Vasquez is a great depth option there to, to come off the bench. But more than that is Victor Vasquez is going to be a fantastic locker room guy for, for these players. Like he is such a student of the game and he, he understands the game in, in ways that a lot of people don't. Um, I know that Greg Vanny would have loved to have made him an assistant coach, which would have been, uh, would have been nice to, to see Victor Vasquez on the touchdown, but I'm happy he's still playing. Of course. I think he's going to bring a lot of leadership, necessary leadership to this TFC locker room because quite frankly, they, they need that. So it's, it's a good injection. I think all around it checks a lot of boxes. He's cheap. Yeah, it's it's a no-brainer for me. Yeah, I, I struggle with it a little bit, and I mentioned it in last week's podcast when talking about Sebastian Javinko uh, and why sort of I, I'm not on, on board with that. But I see your point in terms of the the leadership that he can bring. And look, if he's only, you know, if you're not asking him to play heavy minutes, um, or be the very first option off the bench, then yes, it, it makes sense as a signing. It provides depth in a position that you need. And I think he gives you something a little bit different uh, when coming off the bench as well in terms of his sort of skill set, um, his ability to pick a pass, his ability to find space and connect play. Uh, and I think that is something that TFC sort of have missed in the last couple of seasons is that person that can really connect play um, and, and sort of find a killer ball uh, in the final third. Um, in a lot of ways, last season, you were kind of, you know, in, in the first half of the season, it was kind of, you know, your, you know, either Pozuelo was, you know, trying to make something out of nothing uh, you know, usually out of position, f- you know, being free. And then when he left, it was a lot of wing magic trying to make something ha- happen from the wings. And I think you, he can bring a little bit of variety to uh, your attacking play. He isn't going to really do much for you defensively uh, in terms of covering uh, these days, but he, he'll still do a job. But I think, again, if you're asking him to play 20, 30 minutes here and there, um off the bench to relieve one of the three midfielders or or to change your formation to maybe play him as a 10 and and, and play a little bit differently then uh then i think it's a no-brainer signing especially if he's coming in at you know i think the reported was 300k maybe um mm-hmm. I, I don't really think you lose there yeah i actually think his ability to win the ball back and be a little bit tougher to play against is a little bit underrated of Victor Vasquez's game. He does have that little bit of edginess to him. Uh, and honestly, a similar way that Alejandro Pozuelo did. And I'll even say probably to a little bit bigger of an extent. Uh, I think Victor Vasquez puts in a little bit more work defensively and he played mm-hmm. a little bit deeper last season with, with the LA galaxy. So I don't, I don't foresee that actually being too much of an issue. I know he's getting older and I know he has the quality going forward, but I I do believe he still does value and appreciate the defensive side of the game a little bit more than someone would expect uh, Victor Vasquez to at this point of his career. So 
something to keep an eye on, I guess, is how he does respond defensively. Because if you are in a midfield three, you are going to be asked to do uh, a lot of work behind the ball. And if he plays as part of that three instead of maybe as a wing or as a number 10, uh, yeah, watch out for that. But yeah, the more I talk about it, the more I, I it again, it's it's a no brainer for me to bring this guy in and and have a look at what he he can do with this group. Yeah, I, before we move on to it, I I think some of the things I'm seeing out there in in sort of TFC Live Land is this idea around you know trying to let go of the past, right, and trying to move forward as a club. Uh, in terms of your signings and being progressive that way. And, and sort of, I think some of the the feel for a lot of the fans will be, well, we're talk, trying to talk about moving forward, but yet we're, you know, we're re-signing Victor Vasquez. You know, there, I know we kind of dismissed Seba last week, um, and that completely makes sense to me, but that o- is always out there floating in the ether. You know, I guess, you know, it is... Should we be leaving fans worries around, you know, the fact that maybe, you know, this isn't quite the right type of signing for, for Toronto FC. I know we're talking about all the qualities he brings from a leadership perspective and from, he still has quality, but there are fans out there that, that kind of think, could you not find someone else at a similar or maybe even slightly higher rate, but is younger and maybe provides you a little more future value at this cost like maybe but victor vasquez is also a guy who as we all know came from barcelona's academy right is we know how good of a player Caldwell loves to remind us <laughs> in terms of quality <laughs> speaking of Caldwell, quality that victor vasquez has and brings i i really don't see like maybe but it would be tough it would be really tough to to find better value than a guy like victor vasquez like anyone that's younger and we've seen sort of mls quality players at around this budget charge like if you think of a guy even like shane o'neill is like a similar type of budget charge i know they play different positions but that's sort of the quality of player when you talk about uh the same charge and same cap hit that Victor Vasquez is going to come with. Um, Trying to think who else would be a similar comparison. Like Mark Anthony K is making double what Victor Vasquez makes, right? Mm-hmm. Mark Anthony K objectively is probably a way val- more value and valuable and way better player at this point of his career. But if you're asking someone who's going to come in off the bench and just be your secret, not secret, but your, your weapon off the bench in the last 20, 30 minutes of the game for that price. I, I don't think you can get much bang for your buck. Someone who's willing to play that role than Victor Vasquez. Okay. Well, TFC live, you hear it, heard it here. Uh, I think we're going to get some value. I, I mean, look, we're saying it as a, it might happen. It sounds like it's pretty much there unless something unexpected happens in regards to the medical, but uh, it sounds like Victor Vasquez will be a Toronto FC player and announced sometime soon. Um, 
another another target or another rumor floating out there is Matt Hedges. He's uh the sought after, highly sought after center back, uh like lifelong FC Dallas or career long, I should say, FC Dallas player. Um, sort of anything you're hearing out there about him. I know the last sort of uh thing that most people heard was that Toronto FC were a front runner uh for his services in the free agent market. Um, anything sort of there that you've heard about that uh, that can maybe get Toronto FC uh, an early Christmas present uh, for fans? <laughs> <laughs> um, what I'll say is I think Toronto FC are very confident that they are going to be getting Matt Hedges, though I don't think a decision has been absolutely finalized. There's no contract signed. But just echoing what's already out there, where Toronto FC apparently is the front runner, I think Toronto FC uh, feel confident that given what they've offered, what they showed him, uh, everything they sort of went over, I, I think they're they're in a pretty confident place that they will be signing Matt Hedges, but we'll see, I guess, how that ultimately plays out. Obviously, one phone call from a different team can, can change that entire discourse. So we'll see, but if they do end up getting Matt Hedges, as we've talked about on this show, it would be another really important addition to a team that desperately needs center backs and veteran good quality uh, starting center backs and Matt Hedges checks all those boxes. Yeah, absolutely. And you look, I've, we've seen him play against Toronto FC. You know, I've seen him play for many years uh, in MLS. You know, he's the kind of guy that I think we've all kind of said helps build a winning MLS team. You need those guys who are kind of league lifers uh, to sort of bolster your team uh, in, in certain places. They don't necessarily need to be the star. Um, but in a lot of ways, they need to be on the pitch and kind of being part of the backbone of what you're trying to build in your starting 11. And I think, you know, getting someone like him, although I have heard con- concerns, but just the idea of what you get versus the potential cap hit on what he's asking for as a free agent. But I think, you know, at this point, when you're Toronto FC and you're trying to get yourself back to contention relatively quickly, um, I think you're you're kind of in a place where you have to go out and make that kind of signing, whether it's himself. I think Aaron Long might be a bit of a long shot uh, in terms of what he might be looking for. Unintended, <laughs> um, eh? <laughs> yeah, but I mean, you know that from that perspective, uh, you know, you got to go and try to make those shots in order to put yourself in where you think you should be um, in terms of contending. Um, in terms of MLS free agency, I think a lot of fans are also out there kind of looking at the names that are still on the board and trying to figure out, does TFC make a play here? Does TFC have an opportunity there? There's rumors about a day St. Clair trade. There's rumors about Iowa Canola being maybe on the market. You know, where do you think, or, or maybe are there any other sort of interleague targets that you think TFC should be thinking about or looking at as a potential um as a potential signing for the club yeah um i think sean johnson i think we've i'm sure it's been talked about on this show i'm sure it's been talked about elsewhere i think sean johnson would be a really good target for toronto fc to go after uh you could probably get him for the amount of money that bones and and quinton wesper were making last season And then when you think about um, how much money was it Thomas Romero? I think that's his name. Yeah. The goalkeeper they just brought in. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You think about how much money Thomas Romero is making. It's not very much. And he's proven under Bob Bradley team that he can 
paying in, in Major League Soccer, that's a very good cheap backup option. So I, I'm Toronto FC. I'm looking uh, for a guy like Sean Johnson, who is an undisputed number one goalkeeper that can log a lot of minutes and solidify that position as best as possible. So, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if TFC make a strong run at uh, a guy like him. And another guy that caught my eye, um, I'm not sure what the price point would be, but Giazzi Zardes would be an interesting name. But wouldn't he not come as a DP though? Because he like his last deal was a DP contract, right? His last deal was a DP contract, so that's what I mean. I'm not sure exactly what price point he would now come in at because I'm not. He definitely didn't play up to DP quality the last two seasons, right? But he never had service. Like he's a striker that needs service, and and the thing you know in his last year in Columbus and in Colorado, he didn't have a ton of service. So that's and that's the thing too, right? I wonder if. I'm not sure we haven't we haven't seen the the repercussions today. Oh, okay. So people in the chat are saying that Zardes is joining Austin. So sorry, guys, I missed that. We've been doing is that official though? Is that official? Cup content. I mean, if if Tommy Scoops is saying it, then it's okay. official. Fair enough. Um. So okay. So that's that takes a guy like that off the board. But I thought he would be an interesting fit, and the reason being, and I, we haven't seen this yet with uh, Toronto FC, but you think about when you bring in Lorenzo Insigne and Federico Bernardeschi, the impression that you get is that players that don't play here will want to play here. You mm-hmm. know, it should make the Toronto market and Toronto FC a more attractive spot to play. So a guy like Giazzi Zardes, who honestly needs a rebound campaign and a campaign to bounce back, a good selling point would be, hey, you're going to get some some pretty good players to play alongside. You'll probably get given an opportunity to score a lot of goals. Maybe you take a one-year cheaper deal and go try and build the stock up. Yeah, exactly. Rejuvenate your career. We've seen this again with baseball. You know, a guy like Marcus Simeon with the Jays took a one-year contract and then turned that into 160 million the next year. Um, We've seen it, yeah, time and time again in different sports. I wonder if Toronto FC can make that sort of that make them the destination for that because i think when you are going to be spending to the cap like that you need to find good value plays um so that's something i i definitely look at obviously zardes you can't really do that with but there are other guys out there i'm sure that are looking for sort of that that renaissance and rejuvenation in their career sure but i mean that would have to precipitate one of your strikers probably leaving the out the door right now and especially if you still have a dp spot Right. If the mm-hmm. if you, the news is correct about the Oso contract and it's not a DP deal, then you still have a DP deal. And, you know, in this town, the pressure is on to use all three DPs and find uh, a DP striker, especially now that Oso signed. You're not going to probably use that on a midfielder at this point. So. I, I guess the question is, OK, say you do find someone like a Giassi Zardes or. You know, uh, Joseph Martinez, I know he's technically under contract still with Atlanta, but they've kind of said they're not sure they want him back uh, next season. Do you use that DP spot and go get a really high-flying number nine right now and and try to find someone to back him up on a one-year deal? Do you keep Io and, and maybe continue to develop him and see if he recovers from, you know, fully recovers from the ACL? Um, or do you, you know, at this point, maybe keep 
Jimenez and and say, hey, you know, we're going to give you another season, um, a full season with Bernadette and Insigne and, and the rest of the team to continue to maybe see if you fit in. I mean, there's a lot of sort of moving pieces there with the number nine, and we know we need at least one. So, you know, where do you think the club go there? I have my idea, but I'd love to hear what you think. Yeah, it's interesting, right? I'm not sure if I think the two options that they have is a DP striker now or a DP center back, right? You There's no doubt everybody in this room when you said DP center back. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, that's the reality. This team needs yeah. to upgrade its defense. It might be, if, again, if they have a DP spot open, it might be best to use it on a center back or a striker. Uh, what I'll say is. I'm not sure Jesus Jimenez comes back, and I know that the team has been shopping Iowa Not necessarily that they have to trade him, but they're at least entertaining the idea of making a move for Iowa, whether it's overseas or within within the league. Again, it, maybe it also comes down to what the player wants, right? Does Iowa still want to be part of this project here with Bob Bradley and, and play alongside uh, this in this system and and, and with these sort of players, does that essentially get the best out of him? I I don't know. I haven't spoken to Io. I'm not sure what his thought process is there, but obviously when something like this happens, there is, there's a big combination of a lot of these things. So um, we'll take a look at that, but we do know they need an upgrade at that position, right? Iowa Canola and Jesus Jimenez are not going to be TFC's starting number nines beginning next season i think yeah. we can confidently say that yeah uh so maybe you have to go out and get a dp striker and and make sure that you know you, you take care of that position because we know how important it is for this team to score goals and mls as a whole to outscore your opposition that's pretty much the tr- traditional way of going about things right so i don't know what would you prefer a dp striker or a dp center back I mean, I'm I've I made it clear I'm not against a DP center back, but if you're getting a DP center back, you know you gotta go and get somebody who is almost foolproof, right? Like I'm not you know I'm not saying you're gonna go out and get Virgil Van Dyke, but you know you gotta get someone who I think is going to be a no brainer slam dunk. Right, like n- not just from a an on field perspective, from an off field perspective as well. Right, like you know, fans are going to have a bitter taste in their mouths of Carlos Salcedo. Right, um, you know, I think both you and I think he wasn't as bad as people make him out to be, but he did not play up to what we would consider a DP level. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I think right now, if if you look at it from you know a, a fan perspective. You know, if you say, hey, we're going to go get a DP center back or we're going to go get a DP number nine, uh, most people are going to want that DP number nine. Now, I don't think they're going to go out and get, you know, Lorenzo Insigne level type number nine, right? They're not going to go out and spend another 10 million a season on a striker. That's just not, I don't think, going to happen unless somebody unbelievable magically becomes available. Um, but I think you can still find a DP striker, but it, it, you know, it's maybe in that, you know, it's 3 million, 4 million a season, not quite, you know, European champion level striker. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I don't see them getting 
even Bill Manning came out and said, like, we're not going to sign another Lorenzo Insigne, right? Again, I've, I've talked about this before on the show, and the reality is Toronto FC, believe it or not, MLSC does have a budget with Toronto FC. So yeah. it's not, not gonna... an unlimited Daddy Warbucks fund funds, guys. Just yeah. because MLSC made a lot of money doesn't necessarily mean it all flows to TFC. <laughs> they still got to yeah, pay Pascal exactly. Siakam a lot yeah. of money. You're, you're still feeling the repercussions of a pandemic and and all of that. So there's, I'm sure there's a lot of reasons as to why that is the case. And the biggest one, of course, is Toronto FC right now still have the highest payroll in Major League Soccer. Right? It's you can't go out and and continue to do what what a lot of these uh or what a lot of people hope that they, they can do myself included. I wish that, you know what, this wasn't the case, but I, I don't believe they're going to have too much, too much wiggle room there on their, their final DP. So maybe in that light, could you get better value out of a center back as opposed to a striker? Probably maybe. Um, but I think I you know. can also find good value in a striker in again, South America, Mexico, where, you know, again, like I said, you're not necessarily paying someone six to 10 million a season, but maybe it's two, three million a season, right? Uh, to be your DP striker. So uh, I think there could be value there. That said, again, if you can find a slam dunk, no doubt about it, again, is it an Aaron Long? And maybe you, you, you get that kind of, you know, you, you make up a DP and you give them that kind of money. Or, you know, you find someone in, again, in Liga, Me- Liga Mekis that can fill that void. I know we've were kind of been burned there once, but quite possibly. But I don't know if it goes down well with the fan base, right? Unless, again, it's Virgil van Dijk or something like that. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think regardless of who comes in as a third DP, I wouldn't be surprised if it's slightly underwhelming. Unless they find a way to get really creative and give a, a short-term deal to perhaps a notable name that would be willing to come over for less. Because we're starting to see uh, guys who are fairly notable names come over and not get necessarily DP contracts right away. But would you be comfortable? Because that would probably be someone in their mid-30s at this point, right? Like maybe you get someone in their earlier 30s, but generally speaking, you're probably getting a center back in their sort of 32 and up age stage would you be comfortable with a a dp contract if it's maybe a year and a half uh you know or maybe because because again like a gareth bale type deal or chiellini type deal right chiellini's a little bit different but bale will be a dp in 2023 right like he's not going to he's going to be making dp money next year yeah no no for sure and again i think this really just depends on the player itself right who it varies from from player to player there are certain players out there that would warrant yeah a short-term designated player contract i think no questions asked regardless of if they're 32 33 um so I, i'm not sure if that's going to be quite the sticking point for me like i'm not ready to say hey you know what toronto fc you should go all in for younger talent like I, I know that's like a narrative that a lot of people t- tend to push. I don't think Toronto FC want to play that game. I think they want to build the best team that'll help them win as quickly as possible. They're not in the means of buying a player and seeing his value perhaps go up. They're they're trying to get pieces that they know will work and 
and try and win now, quite frankly. So whether that's a center back, whether that's a striker, I, I wouldn't be surprised if regardless, if again, if they do have the open DB spot, if they decide to, uh, to go that route. Fair enough. Uh, I'll throw out there. Would TFC be willing to trade one of the young assets to get a DP level in league center back? Like doubt they would ever give him away, but like a Walker Zimmerman or something like that, who has experience with Bob Bradley, right? Like would, if, if Nashville comes and says, we want you kill Marshall Ruddy and, and cash as part of a deal and you take Walker Zimmerman and make him a DP, do you do it? No. You you don't do well for Marshall Ruddy specifically because I think TFC are hoping they can get around ten million for a guy like Marshall Ruddy, right? Mm-hmm. Like you can go out and buy another Walker Zimmerman for that amount of money. Why would you trade him for for Walker Zimmerman? That doesn't yeah that doesn't necessarily add up. Would I be willing to trade? Huh? A, like DeAndre Kerr, for example him plus allocation money for a guy like Walker Zimmerman. I, I I don't think you need to. Like I think you can go out and you could find your own Walker Zimmerman, to be completely honest. I'm not sure he's necessarily irreplaceable in terms of just the player that he is and the overall quality that he can bring. Like a very good player, don't get me wrong. He's probably one of the only DP defenders in Major League Soccer that has worked out objectively. I'm not mm-hmm. sure you can go down the list and see that there has been a lot that have been complete successes. So I'm nothing against him, but I just think that if TFC do want to go that route, they can get their own without giving up more assets. Fair enough. Fair enough. Okay. Well, a lot to, a lot is still to come in TFC land uh, in the next couple of weeks, heading into the holidays. I think we're going to see a rash of moves now that the world cup is starting to wind down. Um, we are in the semifinal stage. Uh, so I think you're going to start to see a lot of pieces start to move for TFC uh, going into the holidays and then buckle up come January because it will be an interesting time uh, for your Reds. But speaking of the World Cup semifinal, let's really quickly look at the two semifinals that are coming up this week. Argentina v. Croatia and France v. Morocco. Um uh, let's start with France Morocco because I think it's just an interesting matchup in so many different ways. Obviously, you know a lot of neutrals are on the Morocco fan train, rightfully so. This team has been amazing um, in a lot of different ways. Sofian Amrabat has it literally has had the tournament of his life uh, and might end up getting himself a really really lucrative move um, either in January or come the summer. But obviously, there's a lot between France and Morocco. A lot of Moroccans grew up in, in France, um, is football educated in France and played for Morocco, you know, vice versa in some cases. I mean, what, Mike, do you see as sort of the key factor in this in this matchup, which either sees the defending champion get back to a final and a chance to go back to back, or the first African team to make a World Cup final. I mean, this this match in a lot of ways can be historic in many different ways. Yeah, no, it, very much so. And this Moroccan team has obviously been the story of the World Cup so far, right? No one had them pegged to be in this position. No one had them pegged. I mean, maybe a few people, but most people did not have them pegged to make it out of Canada's group overall. But now they've come a long way. They've upset Belgium. They've upset Spain. They've upset Portugal. 
now the biggest test will be can they go ahead and, and upset France? And for me, like the key is what they've been doing all tournament long. Can they continue to stifle teams and not give them too many clear-cut opportunities? Right? This team works so hard and so like they they're so bought in fitness uh, to one another are incredible. Their fitness levels are unbelievable. Their desire to fight and, and win battles is is remarkable. And can they've they've suffered a lot of injuries uh, throughout the course of these last two matches, key players as well. So can they continue to to stifle a team like France, who is shown to be so potent in front of goal? Obviously, guys like Giroud and, and Antoine Griezmann and Kylian Mbappe are absolutely disgusting in, in front of net. Can you, can you cont- can you do that for one more game at least and stifle what's perhaps the best group of attackers? You got to add Dembele into that mix as well. Best group of attackers so far in this tournament. That'll be the big test right now for for Morocco. Obviously, um, the odds are going to be stacked, absolutely stacked against them. Maybe in more so than we've ever seen uh, so far at this tournament. This will probably be, in no disrespect to Spain or Portugal, but this will probably be their biggest test to withstand that attack. I don't see Morocco scoring that many goals in this game. I think France's unified backline and and central midfielders are going to be up to the task. Nobody's sleeping on this Moroccan team anymore. So I think the more that I talk about this, I think the first 15 to 20 minutes of that match is going to be insane and so important for morocco because france i believe is going to come out and take it to them in a way that no other team has so far at this tournament because they're not a secret anymore fair um i I think when i look at it from a french perspective one obviously you know your number one goal is to try to get killian mbappe into the game as soon as possible and get him in dangerous positions to either score or create um, but I also, the chance I see for Morocco potentially is France have these moments in games where they switch off at times and you can get them in those moments, whether it be on a counter or whether it be off of a, a quick possession play. And what Morocco have been really great at is you know, being opportunistic and taking their chances when they come because sometimes they don't get a ton of chances. Um, and, and you talk about those first 15 minutes. I think the thing that Morocco has been really great at it within those first 15 minutes is establishing th- that the pace of play is going to be a bit frenetic and that they are going to be all over you all game. And that has been a key to their success. And it rattles teams that are used to being able to have time on the ball and and pick passes and be able to start their build-up play. And Morocco has been really great at disrupting a lot of that and making things a little chaotic in a game. And then being able to fight and, and take their chances when they get them. So that will be, to me, a, an interesting key to the game is can France stay fully switched on for 90 minutes? Because I feel like they're going to have to. I don't think they can afford to have these moments of lapses in play. You know, the same thing in the England game, right? Like, yes, they come out with, with a 2-1 win. 
But I mean, you have Teo Hernandez having a complete mental sort of breakdown and giving away that penalty. Of course, Kane misses it and you get, you sort of get lucky in that sense. But France have these moments where they can, uh, they can have these lapses. And if, you know, if they have one against Morocco, they can get, you know, they can get stunned. Um, but I do agree with you that if things play out the way they should play out, we should see France moving into their second consecutive World Cup final. Yeah, no. Uh, like, I saw it because this Moroccan team so fun to watch. They uh, they make every game so entertaining and they don't concede, right? The only goal that's gone past this Moroccan team has been an own goal against mm-hmm. Canada, of course. So their ability to to defend is, again, going to be super important. And, you know, the fan in me, I'm like everyone else. I want to see this Moroccan team at this point just continue to shock the world and make a run all the way to the finals. And then, then I hope Messi, Messi wins the World Cup. Oh, okay. Well, let's get <laughs> into the second semi then. Uh, personally, of course, yes, I want to see an African team make the final. That would be amazing. Um, you know, the support obviously for Morocco in the stadium, um, has been electric at, at in Qatar, obviously. Um, so obviously you want to see that, but I, I also do want to see Kylian Mbappe in a, in a world cup final again, um, because that, uh, that would be amazing, but let's get into the second game, Argentina, Croatia. Um, I, it's funny, the discourse for a lot of people on Argentina is I really want Messi to win. But in a lot of ways, I don't like Argentina <laughs> um, in terms of a, a, as a team. And I wonder if you fall into kind of the same sort of bucket, because I'm kind of there as well, where obviously you want to see greatness. You want to see greatness be great in in moments. And, and look, Lionel Messi has been great at this World Cup. He really has. Um but there is a lot that I'm still not fully convinced on Argentina. But then again, of course, they still have enough talent to go and win this thing anyway. Yeah, it's, it's interesting, right? Uh, we have this conversation on 442. If there's one player you take away from a team and it makes the biggest impact, is that not Lionel Messi? Like, if no, you yeah, take yeah. Lionel Messi away from Argentina, I'm not sure how good Argentina is. No, to I agree. Me, they're not a, a threat at all without Lionel Messi. So it's crazy to think that this is this is his last World Cup and he's still finding a way to have this, honestly, mini, mini renaissance in a way and continue his strong form at PSG and bring this now into a World Cup where he's hitting heights that we haven't seen from him for a couple of years. I can't even say ever because he's had some unbelievable seasons and probably the best football seasons ever by any player. Uh, in the past, but he is definitely having a, a season that's worthy of a Lionel Messi final World Cup season. Uh, this is a guy who's yet to win that one coveted trophy. Obviously, he had the Copa America in 2019, which I believe is going to go a long way in terms of strengthening his belief and confidence in this tournament style of football. And yeah, I, I really want to see Messi go out it on top uh, because I think he is the greatest football player of our generation. And I don't think any argument should that whether he has a world cup or not should taint that. And then if he has his world cup, it'll just be able to, you know, shut all the haters up that, that say Messi doesn't have his world cup and can't carry Argentina. So yeah, I'm, I'm rooting for Messi. The team overall, 
yeah, I, I, I don't love them. Uh, they're, they are an unlikable squad, in my opinion. They obviously really play into that edgy side of the game, the dark side of the game, the dark arts a lot, let's call it. Uh, they know how to play the referee. They know how to get out of their opponent's skin. And yeah, I, I can see why they're not very likable. And on the other hand, I think Croatia is a team that's a little bit more likable, right? When you have a, a team that once again has defied expectations and reached a point where nobody thought they'd be reaching once again. People thought they were over the hill, myself included. I didn't think I that think a they'd lot be of able people to... did. Yeah, they'd be able to turn back the clock and continue to play like this. Or I can't even say turn back the clock because it hasn't necessarily just been Luka Modric that's been doing this. You're seeing guys like Kovacic and Brozovic, and you see Vardiol in the back uh, alongside a guy like Dejan Lovren, who's played really well. Um, the right back, Juranovic, has been mm-hmm. fantastic. Obviously, he's a Celtic guy, and apparently he's going to be sold, which paves the way for Alistair Johnson to get more minutes. Sosa on, at left back. Um, and their goalie, uh, Levakovic, has been the goalkeeper of the tournament. So this is really a, a well, team that's coming to... I, I, I don't think it's debatable, I, man. Oh, I think Bono. I think Bono for Morocco has a shout there. I, I know he's he's done well in, in penalties. Um, I, I would still give it to, to Levakovic because he made 11 saves against Brazil last game. He's won two penalty shootouts. Uh, this guy is... Yeah, no, well, well, who knows? Anyways, so what I'm trying to say is that you have a team now in Croatia that's way better by committee and is coming together at the right time. And they, I think in that light, they're a more likable team than Argentina if you take away the messy factor. Yeah, for sure. And and I think it's interesting with with Croatia you know, you can say in many ways, look, um, you you get to a semifinal through through penalty shootouts. Does that were you the the better team overall? But I think it speaks to a strength in in sort of the collective belief in in, in that we can do this and that we can sort of again whether you call it rolling back the clock or making another run to a final. Um, I mean, we're, we, honestly, we are 90 minutes away, plus any additional time of seeing a rematch of Russia 2018, which, again, would be, I mean, I think no one could have penciled that as a potential final again, um, you know, for a, for a final. But here we are. Uh, and I think that Croatia have a legit shot to have actually beating Argentina, because I think a lot of those players are not going to have any fear of Messi. Right, they're going to have mm-hmm. no fear playing Messi, and if that's the case, and if Messi isn't kind of being magic again, if even if he's still being great but not Messi great on the day, does Argentina have enough? And I'm not sure they do. And I can see our Croatia again getting through this match, whether again it be in the 90 minutes. I can see going to, into additional time and, and then them finding a way to win and get back to a final. So I'm actually going with Croatia in this match and getting back to a final. Yeah. I, I don't think that's very far fetched to be completely honest. Like I could totally see it. And one thing I, I know for sure is that this is going to be, this is going to be a close game, no matter which way it goes. Like Croatia is definitely going to find a way to, to grind Argentina down. 
Uh, I don't think they're necessarily going to outplay Argentina, but they might have to do what they did against Brazil, which was keep a lot of possession just to take the, the sting out of sort of what Argentina's attack will be. And I think that's that's exactly how we'll see this game play out. I, I'm on the other side, though. I think Argentina finds a way to pre- prevail. There's just It's honestly destiny at this point, where Messi goes on and finds another way to, to make another big moment at this World Cup. So uh, we'll, we'll see what happens. Absolutely, absolutely. So, okay, I guess I'm, I mean, look, my prediction, I, I want to see Morocco go through, so I'm taking Morocco, Um, and and hey, maybe I'll even throw a little, a, a few dollars at it, Um, but a Morocco-Croatia final, uh, I, I wouldn't mind that at all. Um, Who who do you got? Are you have France, you think you're going France-Argentina for a final? Yeah, I, I got to go mainstream, man. <laughs> I got to go mainstream, come on. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, lastly, sort of the the one thing I wanted to talk about here. Um, oh, uh, hopefully we still have Mike here. Um, but uh, is just the idea of you know, did Canada get the the real group of death uh, in terms of you know this World Cup because two of the uh, of the teams in Canada's group are now in the semifinals. And in many ways, you know, if we look back at it, and again, hindsight is always amazing, but, you know, did Canada really get themselves kind of the group of death here in, in a sense that you know, now you have, you, know, you can look back and say, hey, we played well in our in our group and two of the teams that, that we played that sort of kind of gave us the hardest time are in the semifinals of a World Cup. It means they're they're really, really good squads. Yeah, I honestly tweeted that out before uh, the knockout stages, I believe, where I genuinely thought Canada had the toughest group, especially after seeing Morocco play. Because Morocco were legit from the very first match. Like their game yeah. against Croatia, Morocco were the better team against Croatia. It ended up being, I think, a nil-nil game. But I think overall, over the course of that that game, the 5 a.m. game, man, what a time, 5 a.m. games. But... <laughs> Morocco was the better team in that game. And then Croatia defending World Cup finalists, uh, still looking like they had a point to prove, especially after that Canada game. Uh, they looked more so like the team they did in 2018 and even a more evolved version of that as we saw different pieces start to step up and and really play important roles for that team. And then obviously you had Belgium, right? And yes, Belgium didn't have the results they would have wanted they didn't perform the way they would have wanted but this is still a very good side in belgium who ultimately are going to be judged by their results but objectively they are a really good team at least on paper so you put those three teams and you stack that up against any other group the only other one that would be close would be the spain germany japan and costa rica group yeah right but i still think that Canada's group was tougher given what what Croatia and Belgium alone have accomplished then you add Morocco into that mix who I think have become a better team than probably a Japan I, I think Canada's group is the toughest group man yeah for sure um and, and look again a lot to be proud of from that performance uh you know in terms of the group lots for them to learn but Oof, let's hope the 2026 draws a lot better. Um, all right, uh, let's wrap up the show um, and talking about something that's really exciting um, that's coming to Canada. 
Um, and that's Project 8 and the new Women's Professional League uh, here in Canada, headed by Diana Matheson and her group, and uh, obviously getting support from the GOAT, Christine St. Clair. Um, you know, we know that they're looking to, to start off uh, with eight teams, uh, coast to coast, kind of, you know, and they've already announced that two clubs have committed. That's uh, the Vancouver Whitecaps uh, and Calgary Foothill, Foothills. So they're looking for the other six right now. Uh, and look, CIBC and Air Canada have come on as sponsors already, which is really great. And, um, you know, for, for those maybe not sort of versed in sort of the media, sport media aspect, having Dome Productions uh, on board to potentially produce the matches um, is also pretty big uh, for a league that's, that I don't even know if nascent is quite the right word um, yet for them. But, um, Mike, I just want to get your thoughts on the, the proposed league you know, the, the idea that, you know, the, the players themselves are the ones really driving this and making this happen. And we just got a tweet or, or a response from Canada soccer today saying they're excited about the project. It took them a little while to come out with that, but I'm sure they, you know, wanted to make sure that they've got their speaking points uh, in general, but just your, your overall thoughts on the potential of this league. I think it's fantastic. And I think they're going about it the right way um, in terms of it's a smaller league to start. They've seemed to have planned this out in terms of how long it's going to take to actually set up a foundation here, create buzz and, and create a legitimate league that will hopefully be a foundational project for, for years to come. We don't need to talk too much about the appetite in this country because I think we know that there is one and oh yeah, there will be a, it will be a league that's supported. I'm interested that this they are doing it independently though. Like I find that really interesting, mm. and I'm wondering why. Why did they have? To, why did it have to get to the point where they didn't have the backing of Canada Soccer from the get go? They didn't. They don't have any involvement with the CPL. What does that allude to, or what does that speak to? I guess that they've had to go out and do this on their own. Yeah, it's it, it is an interesting one. I tweeted it out um, the, the night that it was announced. It was interesting that Canada Soccer Business, Canadian Soccer Business, I should say, um, is not involved at this point. We, that might change in the future. Who knows? Um, but they're not involved. Um, Canada Soccer, I don't think, was taken aback by the announcement. I think they knew it was coming, but um, I think from a from a you know from what you've heard in terms of prior meetings that Diana Matheson had with Canada Soccer, the idea was that they were hoping that it would come through CSB, that it would be tied to the Canadian Premier League in some way. There's a lot of theories and rumors out there. I don't, you know, I, I don't want to necessarily go too deep into it because we just don't know what the what is what. But obviously, the concern out there is that if they go alone and CSB is not involved, is CSB and the Canadian Premier League trying to launch their own league? And are we going to mm -hmm. be running into a, a situation of dueling leagues? which I don't think is healthy for anyone uh, in terms of the landscape of women's soccer in Canada. 
Yeah, and I think that's that's the same kind of line of thinking that I was alluding to and, and getting on uh, because there have been a lot of hints about it. I've read a couple of statements being like, there are other parties who are interested that have done gone about this silently, essentially, as opposed to, to going public. I'm not sure if they necessarily or why they... I don't want to say they jumped the gun because I don't know that's whether they did that or not, but it almost seems like some parties do believe that they jumped the gun a bit on making this such a public announcement, right? Because there's been discussions and there's been talks about whether it be NWSL teams or, or forming leagues, um, getting something done here for women's soccer in, in the country, but it hasn't really bought, been brought to the public eye until uh, this, I mean, we call it independent group now, made their announcement. So I hope personally i think that would be for the best uh is if the women's league and everyone can support this league under one umbrella you know what i mean like everyone yeah. can, can get behind, behind this it. one league and we can all move forward uh and you just, it'd be such a canadian soccer thing to have <laughs> two three four leagues all of a sudden pop up and, and start being formed um so hopefully this is this is it and we don't have to be keep questioning this because it is really exciting it is uh and look i i think that you know being part of myself being part of the canadian premier league you know i i know that being able to form your own domestic league even if it's at sort of the very infant stages you know can do a lot it can bring a lot of players that are you know in new sports maybe playing um, overseas in, in, in different leagues, the opportunity to come home. And, and that, in a lot of ways, is appealing. You know, if Diana Matheson's claims are true, that they're able to pay uh, um, the median sort of wage of what players would generally be getting overseas anyway, then, you know, I think that's, you know, I think that's, uh, you know, that's a, that's a really great thing. So hopefully that is the case and that, and that it can attract a lot of players to come back to Canada and play in this league. Look, you're not going to see Ashley Lawrence or Julia Grosso, you know, or Vinicius Eels come back to Canada to play in this league. They're staying in Europe and playing at the highest levels. But you're talking about other players that may need to take another path to get to that level because not every player's development track is the same. Uh, so having another option, having an option, um, at a professional level at home, uh, is v invaluable. Yeah, exactly. Like we know, I think by now what a league could do to propel the game overall as a whole. And I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, we start seeing more Canadians buy into the fact and, and become ambassadors for this league whether it be uh, someone like a Janine Becky or a Christine Sinclair, like big notable names um, come back and play this game, this league, because as a community, I think we know we have to prop this league up, but nobody knows that more than the women and the players sure. themselves who have lived through that process of, of grinding out a career without a professional domestic league. I think they're going to be significant ambassadors for the league. For sure. And I wonder if part of the 
and again, this is just pure speculation, but I, I wonder if the part of getting this announcement out now is to try to get those that have kind of having these talks in, in private, trying to rally them around one cause, right? Instead of, like you said, being kind of being in different nascent kind of talks about different leagues and things like that. Like, hey, we have a league. There is sponsorship behind it. There is a significant push here. You know, get involved with this league. Um, and I wonder if that's part of the reason why this announcement is coming now, especially when you only have two clubs committed. Now, granted, the, the Canadian Premier League was is similar in, in the way that its announcement went because Hamilton was the only Hamilton and Winnipeg were the only um clubs that were officially confirmed by the league when it launched or when it announced that it would be launching in 2017. Um, so it's a similar track in that way, but I wonder if that's kind of the reason behind it. Yeah. Cause when you think about that, like I think the pressure is now on someone like Toronto FC or Montreal to get behind this league now. Whereas I know as that I've reported this, that Toronto FC had an MLC had other plans, right? Um, we'll see. I guess we'll see kind of what comes from this, but yeah, that could be definitely a reason to to uh, publicly announce that is to create more buzz and get more attention and get more teams and more sponsorships involved in in what should be an exciting project. Absolutely, TFC for Project Eight. I feel like that's a banner coming at some point in the twenty twenty three season in the South End. Um, okay, let's uh, let's close it out, Mike. Um, you know, thank you everybody for listening to another episode of Toronto till I die. Um, we will be back next Monday. It will be our last show uh, before the holidays. Uh, so I think we'll have some special stuff planned for you going into that uh, show. So definitely tune in uh, again, big favor to ask. We do have the new channels now, both YouTube and uh, on the podcast feeds. So go ahead and search Toronto till I die, wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, if you're watching this on YouTube already, great. You found us, uh, tell a friend. Um, but if you're watching on Twitter or on Facebook and want to find us on YouTube, please search Toronto till I die, subscribe, hit the bells for notifications. Uh, that does us a really big favor. And one last favor also leave us a review on the new channels. I, if you've done that on the old channels, we really appreciate it. Uh, but if you could do it on the new channels as well, it just gets people more eyes and, and more ears on the show as well. Uh, uh, but for Michael saying, I am Mike Newell. Thanks for listening. And we'll see you next week. Peace everybody. And wait, and wait. And baby, I'm TFC till I die.